Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm so glad you're here. I hope you came today to learn the Word of God and not to be entertained, for I'm not an entertainer. Even though I'm a speaker, I'm not an entertainer. And so many people go to church to be entertained, and they don't want to hear the Word of God, or they want to hear the Word of God with a little entertainment. But that's not what God's Word is. God's Word is to be learned and held in reverence. And, and, and for us to learn it, and so we can grow and know God more. And that's why we should be in church, not to be entertained. If this is your first time, listen to me. Hello, I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli, and this is Gospel Saving Church, one of, gospel, one of God's true churches of these last days. And if you want to join me, please, in a word of prayer, I always pray to start our service and ask God to help us understand the Word, because without the Holy Spirit, uh, help us understand, without God's wisdom in us, there's no way we can understand the things of God. So please join me. Lord, thank you so much for giving us this new day. Thank you so much, Lord God, for giving me this sermon. Lord God, this sermon that I've labored in word and doctrine, Lord God, for these seven days, Lord God, that I've labored in your word. And I just pray, Lord God, that you would help us to understand. Please, dear God, help us to understand your word by your Holy Spirit. Because we know your word says we can't understand the things of God unless by the Spirit of God. So, Lord, we ask that you'd help us to understand the things that we learn today, that we hear today from your word. And I pray, Lord, as always, that you'd help, them to, help us to apply them to our lives today, Lord God, and help us to learn and to apply. For wisdom, uh, with, uh, wisdom without action is just foolishness, Lord God. We have to act on what we hear or else what we know is foolishness. So please, dear God, we pray that our time here would bless your heart. And that you would see our intentness and our, and our diligence, Lord, to seek you and to follow you. And Lord God, we pray that those things that we do would bless your heart and make you smile. You always do so many things to make us smile. Lord, I pray that our service and our being here would make you smile today. We love you and we praise you, God, and we thank you. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You could turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. We got a kind of a large section of scripture today, verses 29 through 48. That's where we're going to be, but I'm not going to read them or teach them until my thoughts from last week's message. God has shown me that I should not call anyone unclean. God took Peter on a journey last week that we read about that he had no idea that he was going on. You see, Jews hated Gentiles, and Jews thought that salvation was a Jewish-only thing, kind of like a club, Uh, even the Jewish Christians. Yet, God had him go to the very first Gentiles that God was going to save under the New Covenant to present Jesus Christ to them so that they could get saved under the New Covenant, being born again, not, you know. So, it was a whole new thing that God was just starting, and Peter was kind of like the pioneer going on this mission to do these things that he was, like, not ready for. And this was shocking, of course, and hard for Peter because the, because the Jews, Peter was Jewish, had developed a nasty and prideful disposition toward those who were not Jewish, which would be all Gentiles. And at some point, the, the religious leaders, I believe, had started calling all Gentiles unclean. So nasty, filthy, vermin, the, the, the puke of the world, a woman in her impurity, a, a, a nasty swine. Uh, in their culture, that was the worst of the worst. You couldn't get any worse and worse than being a pig and being a swine. They, they wouldn't even allow their shepherds to have pig in the land of Israel. They weren't even allowed. And yet that's how the somebody, Jewish leaders or whatever, had taught the Jews how to treat Gentiles like that. The worst of the worst. 
And the kicker, as I mentioned last week, out of 197 times in the Old Testament that the word unclean or uncleanness was mentioned, not even one time does God call Gentiles unclean. Not even one time. So the Jews were completely out of order for calling Gentiles by this really derogatory phrase. Uh, So the verse that kind of came to my mind as I was setting up this whole overview and as I was thinking about these things, and and a brother had mentioned it to me a while back, but it's 1 Peter 3.15. And and this is how Christians uh, ought to look at all peoples of the world because that's what God says in his word. And he says this in 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone. Who's everyone? No, only the Jews. Oh, only the Jews are only Jews. No, everyone. Be ready to, to give a defense to everyone who asks for a reason, for the hope that's in, within you, with meekness and fear or gentleness and respect, as a, as a more um, thorough version, I believe, puts it, with gentleness and respect. And, and if you're a Christian and you're listening to this overview, this message, I'd like to ask you this, a, a question that, uh, that, that really impacted a good friend of mine. How can you call anyone a dirty and loathsome hog, swine, woman in time or month, or a whore, or a slut, or anything, in a gentle and respectful way? How can you? It's impossible. You just can't. And if you can't do it that way, because you just can't, there's no gentle way to do something like that, then you're not supposed to, right? Uh, You're not supposed to. That's a terrible and horrible thing. Christian, this grieves God's heart when we have this attitude towards another person, any no matter who it is, or, or that we say something like this to somebody else. Uh, Christians, I close to you with this. Bible said it's the goodness of God that draws men into repentance. Romans 2, 4. How can calling unbelievers or you name it, unholy people, whoever they may be, even fallen back Christians, you know, Christian, it's fallen back in their sin. How can calling them unholy and, and terrible names in a prideful way show people God's goodness to help them come to repentance? It's impossible. It's just impossible. You can't do it. All right, moving on, getting into our new sermon for today, our message title today. It's one of the verses, as always, God usually gives me a verse to give for the title. <clears throat> in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Let's read Acts chapter 10, verses 29 through 48, please. You can read along with me, or you can just listen along if you'd like. The Bible says this, Peter speaking. We pick him up here, verse 29. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked them, for what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, that'd be the angel, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately. And you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. There's our title. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of all. That That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee, 
after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in, is, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised on the third day and, and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the peoples, to him all the prophets, witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many who had come with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they had heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that there should be uh, that, that these should, be, should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we have. And he commanded to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. So I know if you're thinking, Pastor Ed, I listened to last week's message, and dude, you already taught verse 29. Well, I know I did, and I know I already taught it, but I don't know if you noticed, last week I kind of only taught on the first part of it. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. And I didn't cover the last half, and I knew I didn't cover the second part of, or the sentence, but I didn't want to confuse this. Hey, guys, open up and halfway through verse 29, start at this word here. I just thought that I'm going to get confused. They're going to get confused. Wait, what did he say? What did? So I just started out in verse 29. And then, you know, that first part, that first sentence of the verse we just read, we see that God had revealed to Peter that he and all truly saved Christians should not call anyone unclean. We've already been through that, right? We've already covered that. We covered that in overview. Don't call people unclean. Don't call them horrible names. Uh, but did you catch that interesting thing that Peter says to Cornelius in the second part or the second sentence of that same verse? Verse 29, that second part, Peter says this, I ask then, for what reason have you sent me? Did you notice that Peter said that? Peter still hasn't caught the full vision of God causing him to come to help these Gentiles attain eternal life. He got the fact, okay, I'm not supposed to call them unclean. I got that. God, I, I'm okay. So I'm not supposed to look at them like they're unclean and terrible hogs and disgusting, you know, vermin of the world. But now he goes, but why am I here? I, I, I know, you know, I'm not, I'm not supposed to think of them like that. But now why am I here? Well, remember, God knew Peter's heart, and he knew Peter needed a healing of knowing that the Gentiles weren't vile and disgusting human beings first, right? Like he'd always been taught. Remember, I taught it last week or a week before, I taught that the dangerous religious teachings are, are such a, a cancer to our world. They put a poison in our heart, and Peter's heart had been poisoned into thinking that all non-Jewish people were the disgusting swine of the world. So he needed this healing first to know, hey, I'm not supposed to call these peoples these evil things. So that was definitely a step that Peter needed to take. But notice now, again, God didn't share that second part with him. God didn't say, okay, go, they're not unclean, but I'm going to show you, you're going to help them get saved. God didn't, God didn't tell him that part. He did, only did it step by step. 
uh, Peter is going to find out now for the first time in his life that God's going to open up the floodgates of salvation for the Gentiles. And Peter now is ready. Okay, had, had God just thrown it on him all at once, I spoke about this last week or week before, I think Peter's head would have exploded. Wait a minute, you know, they're not clean, or they're not unclean, and, and, and they get saved too? Oh my gosh, Lord, are, are, you, are you kidding? That's, that's crazy, right? Uh, but notice, even though Christ didn't tell his servants or Peter all the details of his plan, I, I do believe that he, remember, he wouldn't have been able to do it without his head exploding. He does do a good job of preparing Peter's heart for the next step. He does, doesn't he? He gives it to him slow and steady. Not all at once. He gives it to him all just in little increments. Uh, this mission was given to him piece by piece, not all at one time, which also means that today, think about this, if you're his kid, you can expect to not understand in much detail even the paths and details pertaining to your own life if it's even wrapped around the heart of God and wrapped around doing his will, for God is the same then, now, and forever. So just understand that, Christians. Be ready. You see, like, well, I'm going on this mission for God. What next? He'll give it to you when it's time. He'll give it to you when, when you're ready. And, and another reason he does this, it, it helps build our faith. Amen. How much faith would we get to have if, if God just gave us the whole plan and we knew it all up front and we just knew every step that we were going to walk and everything that was going to happen? That doesn't really build our faith much. And of course, like I said before, I don't think we'd be able to handle it. Anyway, I speak from experience on this. I know this stuff from firsthand. Trust me. All right, so getting back. Peter asked Cornelius the what for. Right? Why are we here? I don't. What, what, why did I come? I don't get it. I want, want to come. And what does Cornelius do? He he gives it to him. Right? But notice only a slightly abridged version. If you remember the earlier version of when the angel actually came, look at verses thirty and thirty-two. He kind of shortens it. So Cornelius said, four days ago I was fast until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and that would be the angel from God. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm hearing him say this kind of fast, too. And, and he says, and, and, he, and said, Cornelius, your, your prayer's been heard, and your arms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call Simon here. His surname is Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he'll speak to you. He basically tells Peter the details of what happened to him, but he doesn't give him the word for word, right? He kind of gives him the expedited version, the, the highlighted version. And, and, and why would he do this? Well, remember, he was so excited to see Peter, to go send it. He sent it the Bible says that after the angel told him to go send, pe uh, send people to Peter, he sent them immediately. He didn't wait three, four days. He, didn't, he, he sent them immediately. And notice it said four days ago. Well, I said just a couple, a couple weeks back or last week that it took the messengers by the time going and coming because it took about a day and a half, uh, one, one full day plus another half a day. So, I mean, these guys literally left right away, got there right away. When they got there, they stayed, they stayed the rest of the night because it was probably late in the evening. They left the next morning. There was no leisure here. This was an immediate, expediated thing. And remember, when Cornelius saw Peter, he, he was so excited, he fell down and he worshipped him like the Romans did their false god. I mean, again, you can't blame him. Uh, but, but you can't blame him here for giving Peter the abridged version. Bless his heart. Look at how impatient he is. He is actually here what Peter has to say. Look at verse 33. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. He says, come on, Peter. Let's hear it. 
All right, you're here. I've waited four days. My, my whole family's together. All my neighbors are here. Come on, Peter. Let's say on, say on. We've been waiting for you. Let's, let's do it. So he's excited. He's anxious. He's ready to go. He's gunning up. Peter doesn't quite speedily tell him the message that God gave him to speak, for he's shocked at what God is doing there, right? Or what he, it, God has him doing there, I should say. And then he utters one of the most powerful, yet most difficult concepts in the entire Bible to understand, 34 and 35. Then Peter opened his mouth, and he doesn't preach the gospel, but he says this, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, the title of our sermon today. But in every nation, whoever fears him, and then, in tr- uh, excuse me, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Wow. It sounds as if Peter says that God accepts people for salvation apart from Jesus Christ, but we all know, I taught about it a couple weeks back, that's not what he's saying. Peter is just in awe. I cannot believe that God has me here, number one. I, number one, I can't believe that God has called Gentiles clean now. Oh my gosh, that, I, God, he, they're not the disgusting vermin of the world. They're not Jewish, but they're not the disgusting vermin of the world. And now, and, and now the angel calls you, he, he wants me to preach to you the gospel because there was only one thing that Peter preached, right? Peter didn't preach himself or he didn't preach good works. He preached Jesus Christ. So he knew when he heard the angel had talked to Cornelius, see, I'm here to preach the gospel. That's why I'm here. And God, you're, you're opening up salvation to the Gentiles? <gasps> what? And, and now he's like, oh my gosh. And, and it does sound as if he does say that God accepts people apart from Jesus Christ for salvation, but we know that's not what he says. And, and so the question though still arises, if you missed that sermon, just to, just to brazen over just quickly, can someone be saved and have eternal life with God Almighty by their fear of God and their righteous works only apart from Christ? So really, again, I address this, uh, this concept in in thoroughly, in, in full, in the, in the sermon titled The Reward of His Great Faith and Reverend Fear of God two weeks ago. But I, again, I'm just going to recap it over. So can someone be saved? Can someone be saved apart from Christ by their good works, by their fear of God, by their good deeds, right? Can they? No. And that's the short version. And the reason being is, remember, right after God said, hey, you're accepted, man, I love you, or, you know, really, in a sense, he said, I love you, I've seen your good works, I've seen your, your faith toward me, your fear toward me, what did he say right after? He said, go get Peter. Even Cornelius even repeats it here. Hey, he said, this angel came to me, he said, oh, I've seen all your good works, but now, go get Peter. If he was accepted by God in salvation unto, by his good works and by his prayers and by his, all his alms, then he would not, God would not have told him to go get Peter so that Peter could tell him all that he should do. And, and if God had meant, right, by his compliments of Cornelius that he had attained a righteousness unto salvation apart from Christ, he would have, not, he would have told Cornelius, all right, you're good. You're good to go, Cornelius. Just, just keep doing what you're doing. And I love you. And, and, but he didn't. Because only peace and only salvation comes through Jesus Christ. This is the Bible's plain message. I don't care what religion you've ever heard or what religion you've been taught or what they've taught you in your dangerous and poisonous religious teachings that you've listened to in the past, if you're before you listen to this message. But the Bible says that there's, that, that, that there's only salvation and repentance and turning to Jesus Christ for peace. In this salvation peace, let me tell you, there's nothing greater. 
There's nothing greater than God's salvation peace. Which makes what Peter meant by what he said in Acts 10, 34, 35. He says, In truth, I, I perceive that God shows no partiality in every nation. Whoever fears God and works righteousness is accepted by him. Not that God accepted Cornelius for salvation apart from Christ, but because he finally saw that God accepts or really calls those from every nation into eternal life. And that he didn't just decide to call the Jews to eternal life. Remember Christ's words in Matthew twenty-two fourteen: Many are called, but few are chosen. God's calling all people okay, to salvation. There's just no doubt about it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? He's, he loves and he's calling the whole world. But who gets chosen? Many are called, but few are chosen. Who, who's chosen? Well, we don't read anywhere that we're chosen just because we're of a certain breed or a certain elect type. We see that those that are chosen, we see here, Cornelius was chosen. Why was Cornelius chosen? Well, if we just look, use our common sense and knowledge and basic, uh, you know, understanding of the brain, which is what God gave him to us for, right? We see that he loved God. He didn't even know God, yet he loved God. He saw all the things that God laid out in all creation. He, he listened to his conscience, which was telling him, and he didn't suppress the truth. Rather, he sowed to the truth. Now, that wasn't a sowing that was immediate salvation, but that sowing to this truth of God, these, these, awesome, these awesome things that God's laid out, got God's attention. Oh, you, you aren't going to suppress the truth of me and go towards unrighteousness. Oh, all right, well, here, you know what? Wow. Wow, somebody that actually is, is not suppressing me. Come on, man, come on. That's why he got chosen. Not because he was some super special breed. The Jews had written the Gentiles off, for crying out loud. It wasn't like, a, how could a Gentile have been an elect when, when God, God, the Jews were the elect people, right? God elected him because he didn't suppress. Not because he was some super special breed of certain person that nobody knows that they are, of course, until they're zapped, right? Because I'm, you know, this certain, that person, right? Don't even get me started. Moving on. Let's look at Peter's message to Cornelius, his whole house, his family, his friends, after he says what he does about this realization that God's calling everyone into Christ and in eternal life, and he accepts all who respond to his call, right? Look at verses 36 through 43. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. This peace in Jesus Christ, in the context he's referring to it of, in the Strong's, the definition is this. There's about two or three definitions, but of course, we know it's not peace from wartime. We know it's not peace from strife. We know it's a peace in Jesus Christ. And so this definition from Strong's is this, of the Messiah's peace, the way that leads to peace, salvation. We know the peace that he's talking about here is a salvation peace. Do you see his message and how it was geared towards eternal life in Christ? It, again, if Cornelius would have had this type of salvation, a peace apart from Christ, then why did Peter come and preach that this peace was only in Jesus Christ? Same as he did in Acts 4.12. There's no other name given among men by which we may be saved, speaking of Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter closes the statement by another powerful statement of the, the Messiah, the saving peace that, that Jesus gives by saying he, verse 36, the end of it, he is Lord of all. Isn't that good? This is good to know. Jesus is Lord of all. He is King of kings, the Bible says, and Lord of lords. And after all, we know he professed and they also backed it up. He is the Christ, 
God's Messiah. Ladies and gentlemen, there's no salvation apart from Jesus Christ, not for anyone. Even those whom have never heard his name. Romans 1 tells us that no man is without excuse. Just go back and read it, Romans 1, because God has revealed himself to everyone. Maybe this is a, a new concept for you. Well, when you nobody's without What about those people in the, the old New Guinea that have never heard them? They've never, they've never even seen a white man. Just go to Romans 1 and you'll read on. Unless the Bible's lying, unless the Bible's not your ultimate authority, which it's mine, the Bible says that no man is without excuse. Everybody knows. Not everybody knows the name of Jesus Christ, but Cornelius, right? He, he wasn't saved in Jesus Christ, but he worshiped Jehovah. Amen. And by his just as plain not suppressing Jehovah's truth, God said, okay, I see you're interested. I see you're, you're, not, you're not suppressing me. I'm going to give you the next step. You, you just attained, wow, by your, just your earnestly, you just attained the knowledge to, to have the right, as Luke talks about it, as Jesus Christ talked in Luke, right, the, to attain eternal salvation, right? And, and that's why God told Cornelius to get Peter so that he could tell him the way to have a true relationship with God Almighty and eternal life. Uh, verse 37, let's keep going. That word you know which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism John preached. Peter speaks to them as if they kind of knew what had happened, as if they kind of knew that, you know, all these things that Jesus did. And that's because I do believe that they did. Uh, uh, Where they are, Caesarea and, and Jerusalem were only really a, not that far apart, and news travel fast, and miracles, I've talked about this before, when God does miracles through people, miracles, the spread of a knowledge of a miracle in an open, in an open forum, that, that goes far and wide. So I believe that Peter says this because they did know. Cornelius had her. He wasn't a worshiper of Jesus Christ, but he was a worshiper of Jehovah, but he had kind of heard these things about Jesus. What exactly did they hear? And it happened, verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Again, they heard about the American mir- amazing miracles. They heard about the healings he had done to raise people from the dead, cause the lame to walk, exorcisms. As I said earlier, and I didn't have the number properly at that point, but, but Caesarea to Jerusalem was only about 75 miles. And Peter goes on, verse 39, We are his witnesses. And I'll say firsthand. Because you know why? Not because I say it, but Scripture does. Scripture says that Peter and the other, and the, uh, really the, uh, the other ten, and at this point uh, his resurrection wasn't witnessed by Judas. Judas was dead. But the eleven witnessed it. First-hand witnesses of what? Read the first part of verse 39. Of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. He saw it all. They saw it. They witnessed it. They saw it all. Now, Jesus Christ was murdered, and this, we're going to talk about many, actually many different topics today. This, this, this scripture, I generally don't cover this big of a section of scripture, but today this is, what, this is what it called for, this is where we're at. So Jesus, yes, was killed and murdered by, hanging, by, by being hung up, right? But notice that Peter uh, says that they did it by hanging him on a tree. That's important. People have made this statement by Peter very controversial, uh, one that they believe brings contradiction. If you believe it or not, it, it's out there. It's, it's huge. Oh, a tree, it was a cross. No, they, it was a cross, and they said it was a tree. The Bible's contradictory. And there, there's even one certain sect of, a, of an apostate church that believes that he was actually hung on a torture stake. 
and that's what they'll say, just, just a straight-up piece of wood, a stake. Uh, so it's caused much negative conversation both in and out of Christian communities and Christian circles. People, I said, as I just said, people point out the fact that at some points in the Bible it says cross, and yet here P- Peter says tree. And tree and cross, not the same. Uh, so which is it, right? Was he hung on a tree? Was he hung on a cross? Was he hung on a torture stake? What, what was it? Well, is there a contradiction? Well, there's no contradiction. And why do I say there's no contradiction? It's very simple. I don't know why people just don't understand this. What's a cross made out of? <laughs> What's a cross made out of? Well, wood. Well, where does wood come from? Where, where, well, think about it. Where does wood come from? It comes from a tree, right? So tree, cross, same thing. It's not a contradiction. Jesus Christ was hung on a tree. Why didn't Peter just say then, well, he was hung on a cross? Well, Peter was given a different message. He was given a, a deeper message, which kind of shocked me that he would have given this deeper message to Gentiles. But yet, remember, I mean, as a preacher, I know well enough as a preacher, God's, God chooses to take over and speak sometimes. And he just says, you know, here's what I want you to say, but then also, well, I want you to say that too. What was this deeper message that God was trying to show Cornelius? Well, it was just a beautiful analogy of exactly what God said in Deuteronomy 21, verses 22-23, and it says this, If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day, so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. For he who is hanged, you could say on a tree, because that's the context, is accursed by God. So you see, at this point, Peter's making in Acts 10, by what he says, he's showing them that Jesus Christ became a curse for us by being hung on a tree, the tree that was in the shape of a cross. Whether it was a stake or whether it was a cross, I'm really not going to contradict that because they, uh, this one apostate faith does make a good point. The word for cross there does... One of the definitions says stake. So I don't, you know what? It doesn't really matter. If it was a cross, whether it was a stake, he was crucified on a tree and he was hung on a tree, but they didn't make him hang there overnight. Just as God's word said, he was taken down before that night came. And so again, so we wouldn't defile the land because, you know, God's words (laughs) in this point is the same then and there, right? But what is he doing here? He's describing to Cornelius and his whole household the substitutionary atonement. If you've never heard that term before, it's called substitutionary atonement. You see, every person that sins should die and be punished for their own sin, for that's one of God's rules, Ezekiel 18. But there is one exception to that rule. Substitutionary atonement. And it's only, understand, this isn't just for anybody. We can do this on a minor level. Like, you know, I'm going to take the bullet for somebody even though I didn't commit that one crime. But as far as why Christ did it, what Peter's talking about Christ did it, he's saying if someone steps in who's not sinned, this is the definition of substitutionary atonement, excuse me. If one steps in who's not sinned, well, who else has never not sinned? Me? <laughs> yeah, right. You? You? No. no. Only one. Only one could do this. So this is not a, this is an ultimate thing for, for eternity here. Christ is the only one who did never sin. And he stepped in and he gave himself for the one that did sin. And he takes our or anybody's guilty, the guilty party's judgment that they deserve. And he takes it upon himself. So hard of a concept is this. Muslims cannot come. 
cannot grasp it. No, it's not. People get to have to pay for their own sins. This is what God says. I've had many discussions with Muslims about this. They cannot understand that Jesus Christ came in and took the penalty for our sin upon himself, for he committed no sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he, God, made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And again, Christ is the only one that ever did this. So if you're looking for salvation in another name, your own, or Buddha, or Allah, or Muhammad, or, or whoever, even Jehovah God of the Bible, you're not going to find it. For there's only one that stepped in that became sin, who knew no sin, to become the substitutionary atonement for us. And Jesus Christ, of course, did this by allowing himself to be crucified on a cross made from the wood of a tree or a stake or whatever you want to say, to offer himself payment for our sins, even though he himself had never sinned and knew no sin. Wow, isn't that such love? The greatest single act of love anyone's ever shown for anyone else, both past, present, or future, period, the end. You can look for it, but it's not going to be there. You can look for it, but it's not going to be there. And again, praise God for it, because if Jesus Christ had not done what he did, there'd be no eternal life with God Almighty or Jesus Christ uh, for any of us that died. Any one of us. Wow. Uh, but that's not the end of the story. Well, I, I love to talk about the crucifixion of Christ and all the, the love that he showed for us, but that's not the end, you see. That's just actually the beginning. <laughs> that's not the end. Look at what Peter says, verse 40. Him God raised up on the third day. There's the finish up to the gospel message or good news truth of what Jesus Christ did as Peter says it here. Jesus Christ lived. He died for our sins. He rose again. Same as Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 15. There's one spirit. Peter gives that message. Paul gives that message later on. Peter's gospel wasn't even, Peter didn't write a gospel, but Mark was his kind of his understudy. Kind of Mark wrote kind of what Peter knew, you know, because Mark was with Peter. But anyway, Paul wrote that in 1 Corinthians 15, and Peter had said this right here in, in Acts, right? Acts 10. But thanks be to God, Jesus Christ just didn't raise from the dead, and then that's the end. And you may be saying, well, wait a minute, there's more? Absolutely, there's more. He also gave us justifiable proof of his resurrection for all us skeptics out there who have a difficult time accepting the things we hear. Look at the rest of verse 40. And showed himself openly, not to all people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. Uh, just as Peter says here, Jesus Christ was seen by his chosen 11 apostles, uh, some women of the faith. And lastly, he shows himself, as 1 Corinthians 15, 6 says, to 500 people all at one time. And when you look and people have at how realistic it would be that somebody could, that 500 people could actually see the same hallucination, at, you know, oh, and, and it just not be real. It's, it, the, the numbers go into the zero, 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 you get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Well, if 500 people see the same thing all at the same time, it's a fact. In its reality, and Christ showed himself after he resurrected to over 500 people all at once. This is so powerful because we have multiple firsthand witnesses to the resurrected Christ, and it's such good proof. And you know me, I'm all about proof. Show me what you believe is real, and I'll believe it, but you can't. 
You can't if you're a Muslim or if you're a Buddhist or if you're a Hindu. You got no proof of your religion. The Bible is full of proofs that God and the Bible is all real. Anyway, that's not the message. Don't get me started. Look at verse 42. And he commanded, Jesus Christ commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. First, Mark 16, 15, go therefore into all the earth and preach the gospel to every creature and that he's the Christ, the Holy One of God, Jesus Christ, exactly what Peter preaches here, John 14, 6. The Christ was the only way to God, Jesus Christ, John 14, 6, for I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. As I said earlier, Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Peter's last words of this powerful gospel-driven message, verse 43, to him all the prophets witness that. Through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. The prophets that gave prophecy of Jesus Christ coming in a certain way, living in a certain way, dying in a certain way, and not just dying, Oh, but no, the prophets speak hundreds and thousands of years before he lived and died that he was supposed to die for our sins. Not that he was just supposed to be some other, because everybody dies. What's so special about somebody that dies if they don't do it for a reason? Or if they're a sinner and they die for a cause? Okay, well, a sinner died for a cause. Oh, that's pretty commendable. But when somebody comes and knows no sin and is perfect, and led as a lamb to the slaughter, and yet lays his life down, not deserving the punishment that he gets, and he dies for the sins or the iniquities of his people, now we got something. Now we got something. And that he and and God Almighty, the only one and true creator of the universe, for there's no other. And Peter says that all who believe in him may have remission of sins. I'm going to talk about that belief at the end of the sermon. Or are completely forgiven for their sins. And because of this, what? We can have eternal life. If you don't have remission of your sins... You're not going to go to heaven. Sad as it is to say, if you have no remission of your sins, then you're not going to go to heaven. How did Cornelius and his household and friends respond to what Peter says about Jesus Christ? Look at verses 44 through 48. While Peter was still speaking these words, so right in the midst of him talking, think about this, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. Similar to the experience, minus the tongues that sat on the heads and in front of the faces of the disciples and the apostles, the same exact thing that happened to the apostles on the day of Pentecost when they were in the upper, upper second floor room. The same exact thing happens to the Gentiles as happened to the apostles. Wow! Look at the response of the Jews who are with Peter, verse 45. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many who has come with Peter. Notice it doesn't say Peter, because remember, God had already given him this revelation a little earlier, right after Cornelius explained why he called for Peter. Remember, Peter was like, why am I here? Cornelius tells him, Peter got it. That's why I made that expressional statement. Man, I know I see God shows no partiality. But for the Jews that were with Peter, they were astonished. And why? Why were they astonished? Because End of verse 45, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. So those that came with Peter didn't have all the revelations that Peter had had. They only knew that the Gentiles are, are not clean and uh, not called unclean anymore because they never really should have been. Any of them, all, anyway, all, any of them, anyway, I should say all of them. And, and also that God is now opening up eternal life to the Gentiles. Wow, this is, this is talk about not being ready. 
These guys were really not ready. Peter at least got the, the vision of the, you know, the, the four corners and the unclean animals and hey, they're not, you know, they're not unclean. You know, they're what I call clean, do not call unclean. These guys, these guys got just got like a pie in the face. Whoa, what? No, okay, not unclean. Oh my gosh. Now, now they're getting saved? And this, by the way, will be a hard topic for all Jewish Christians from this point on, off and on, for a great amount of time afterwards. You're going to see this going through the book of Acts as we go. But because God allows Gentiles to start getting saved with Cornelius and his household first, this becomes a huge hot topic, right? A huge hot topic where, where Peter even comes back to Jerusalem and they're like, You entered the house of a Gentile? How dare you? All that... That's forbidden. Peter takes heat. You'll see next week. Peter takes heat for what he does here. Uh, but this becomes much a debate, even well into the epistles. As even well into the epistles, Paul is still like, hey, they're Gentiles. They're not Jews, but God allowed them to get saved. Get off my back kind of a thing, right? Uh, Peter closes verse 46 with this. For they heard them speak with the tongues and magnify God. Remember what I said about the same exact thing almost happening to them as happened to Peter and the apostles up in that upper room? Peter's response, end of verses 46 and 47, then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized? Peter telling them exactly what Jesus Christ taught them in Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, this would be in water, in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Look at the rest of verse 47. Uh, as for who was to be baptized? Peter says that it was who? Those who received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Then verse 48 to finish up our text, plus a big bang key point here of an ending. And this is big. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked them to stay for a little while. Now look at this big bang point. This, this is probably one of the biggest points that I'm going to make in this whole sermon here. As I was studying on this, God was like, yeah, here, by the way, remember that Remember that discussion you've been having lately about, you know, baptism and salvation and what part baptism plays in salvation? Well, look there, Ed. Look, I was like, wow, Lord, wow. Well, here's the Big Bang key point that I'm speaking about, right? Not sure if you noticed it. Did you happen to notice when Peter commanded Cornelius and his household to be baptized? Please, it, it, I hope you haven't fallen asleep since I've been teaching because I know I'm winded. I know, I'm, I know I teach for like an hour and you're, you're not used to the other churches. You know, they, they get you in there in 20, 25 minutes with a one song or two songs and then you're out. Not, not me. I'm long-winded. But please pay attention and wake up to this because this is a key point and it's going to help us greatly understand, understand biblical salvation and what part baptism plays in it. Look at when Peter commanded these Gentiles to be baptized. Go to verse 44 again. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. That sure sounds like salvation to me. They were saved, guys. They were saved right then and there. They turned their hearts to the Lord. They inwardly repented to God. And God saw it and he said, boom, salvation. Then look at 48. After the salvation, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Notice that the Holy Spirit filling, speaking with the spiritual language for Cornelius and household, the point that they became born again, 
came before Peter ordered them to be baptized. Please understand that this event is unlike the thief on the cross who died for Jesus Christ, or died before Jesus Christ brought in the new covenant, right, with his blood, where Jesus told him you'd be in paradise and he died before without being baptized. But this was the old, technically kind of underneath the old covenant. This event happens far into, now maybe even five, ten years after Jesus Christ has died now. So we're fully in the totality of the new covenant and notice their salvation. Holy Spirit falling on them, causing them to speak in tongues, was before water baptism was commanded by Peter. Which makes Peter's commanding this water baptism not to get them saved because they were already saved. Right? They had already just got saved. So, speaking in tongues, I mean, this is what, there is a sect that believes in, in Christianity that unless you speak in tongues for real, you're not really even saved. Now, I don't agree with that because that's not what the Bible says, but you know, doggone it, somebody's, Holy Spirit's falling on them, they're speaking in, in tongues, they're saved. Peter goes, wow, these Gentiles, they got saved, just like me and all the other apostles, hey, let's baptize them, which, again, makes the baptism not to help them get saved, but to do and to fulfill Jesus Christ's commandment for after somebody is saved in Matthew 28, 19, now baptize them. It's very plain there. I hope you can see that. This is a funny one God gave me. <clears throat> if someone's salvation was or even is contingent on them being baptized in water, God sure didn't know it. You know, well, Pastor, blah, blah, blah. well, he couldn't have, right? He just saved their souls before they were baptized in water, if that doctrine was true. I'm just saying, God didn't know. Well, oh, wait, oh, I forgot. That's man's doctrine. That's not what God says. Okay, God's word says these people got saved, and then he says, okay, now baptize them, Peter. Now get, get, get them baptized, right? Uh, because he just saved their souls before they were baptized in water by putting his Holy Spirit in them. And when you get born again and the Holy Spirit falls upon you and you start speaking with tongues, Bible says in Ephesians that you're saved, that you're sealed actually for the day of redemption. That's what the Bible says, not my words. Ephesians 4.30. Uh, so what part does water baptism play in a person's salvation? Zero. And getting somebody saved, zero. Because if it did, then that would mean that we could earn our eternal life by a good work, even the good work of being baptized. Why, why baptize? Why evangelize that? Well, because there are things for us to do. Just, just like getting a job, right? I love this analogy. God gives me this analogy all the time. Just walk into the bank tomorrow and try to step behind the counter and start to serve people with the money. Well, I got one brother left and I think we all get it, right? What are they going to do? Well, they're going to call the police. They're going to ask you, maybe not even ask you to leave first. They're going to call the police. Why? Because you weren't hired first. You've got to be hired in order then to go behind the counter and serve out the money and help people with their accounts and their transactions. But then now, you get hired by what? Accepting the terms by which they offer you the job. Does that sound familiar? Accepting what God did on the cross, saying, okay, I accept the terms. Here I am, Jesus Christ, save me, please. And then what does like a bank do after you're hired? What does a McDonald's do after you're hired? Well, they usually give you a book and they go, okay, here you go, son. Here you go, you know, daughter. Here you go, John, Larry, Susie. This is the things that we expect of you now that you're hired. And then after you learn those things, then what do they do? Then they put you behind the counter. Then they go and they have you do the works. But notice you can't just walk behind the counter of a bank and start serving people or you're going to jail. It's the same thing, guys. 
can't be do any good work or get baptized or any good work to be saved, but these things are things for people to do after they're hired by God. And of course, if we could be saved outside of by doing any good work, then why did Jesus Christ cry out to God in Matthew 26, 39? Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. God, if there's any other way that salvation could come to mankind, any other way, let, it, let, it, let them get baptized, Lord. Let, let them believe on you. Let them, let them jump up and down on one leg and spin around five times, and then they'll, they'll get saved. If there's any other way, Lord. And we all know the story. We all know that God made him go to the cross. Because why? There's no other way that anybody could be saved from God's wrath unless it, was, unless it be, was, now, forever, by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, by his perfect anointing, sacrifice on the cross, his substitutionary atonement for our sins, uh, him taking the punishment for our sins, even though we deserve to be punished for committing them, upon himself. It's the only, only way. So, so many topics I, I covered today in this message. So, so many. Uh, but I hope you learned a lot because that's why I'm here. I, 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 as far as I'm concerned, if God just said, here, do this for the rest of your life and this is all you'll do, when God does that with me, I'm going to do it. I am here to teach and help people understand God's Word, the Bible. Uh, too many so-called preachers, way too many so-called preachers, teach people to entertain them and, and to fill their churches. But I teach you that you can understand God's Word. And whether you come to Gospel Saving Church or not, and, and not to fill my church with people, trust me, because I'm not the most popular preacher, but to fill people with the truth of God's Word. Not for my benefit, but for your benefit. God's made me a tent maker, and I'm okay. But I want you to know the truth of God's word. Not, I'm not going to teach you things just so you come here. Upon all the information that I covered today, what can I say is the most important part of today's message that I want to close to you with? What would be the most important part that I want to, like if I give you any one thing that I want you to take home and like hold up above everything else, it's the title. It's the title. In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. That means the whole reason we learned what we did from this message, if you think about it. Think about the whole reason God recorded all of this for us. We learned a lot of things, and I exegeted a lot of things out of the Scriptures. But why was this whole message even... Why, did, why am I teaching this message? What was the whole thrust? Well, why, did this, why did this scenario even come up, right? Uh, here's why, right? The whole reason we learned what we did from this message and in this biblical text was because of God's grace towards mankind. And why? Especially because he didn't have partiality toward those that the Jews had written off. He showed no partiality toward the Gentiles. That's the whole reason we even have this section of Scripture. Because God said, oh man, Cornelius is seeking me. Let's bring him salvation. Let, let's go, Holy Spirit, go. Get on there, angel. Get him show." Had God shown partiality to the Gentiles, I wouldn't be teaching this section of Scripture. First of all, I'm a Gentile. I would have never even gotten saved. I wouldn't have been able to. And number two, if Cornelius got it and opened it up for all Gentiles back then, I wouldn't be preaching this. But God, you see, he doesn't write anybody off. As long as they're still alive, God doesn't write anybody off. As long as there's breath in your lungs... God will show no partiality towards you today either. 
whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile like me. And in regard to you or me being able to come to the river of living waters of God Almighty and drink. Did you know that? Did you, did you know? I don't know if you know that. Jeremiah 2.13. God says that He is the river of living water. Wow. That's awesome. He is the river of living waters. Do you need to come to Him today? Or do you need to come back to Him today? Many just believe that they need to have a belief in God. Or they take Acts 10.43, whoever believes in Him, Jesus Christ will, be, will have remission of sins. And they take it out of context because you know what? The Bible says even the demons believe. Well, what kind of belief is, is God talking about? What kind of belief is Peter talking about here? It's not the belief of, of, of a head belief of the sun or the moon or the stars. It's a little bit different of a belief. And you know where you can find that kind of belief, what to believe and how to believe? You can find it in Scripture. And understand, a lot of times I'll go through this whole process, but this time here, when I'm preparing this message, God said, no. I want your listeners, anyone that's listening, maybe there's somebody out there God's speaking to specifically, to go to the Word yourself and start digging. For, for the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's in a field. Well, is a treasure that's in a field, is it above the ground or is it below the ground? What's going to be under the earth? So God wants you to find out what kind of belief this is, but trust me and please understand, it's not just a simple head belief like it's been taught apostately in this country for so, so, so long. So outside of just believing in Jesus Christ, do you really even know the way the Bible says that it means to belong to God or be born again or be saved from His wrath on Judgment Day. It's only through Jesus Christ only, of course. But how does He say to come to Him? How does He say that you're supposed to come back to Him? God gives it in His Word. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. God gives it in His Word. Will you be a seeker? And will you go find out how God says to go through that? Will you show God, will you be like Cornelius? <laughs> the only reason Cornelius had this even happen to him is because he responded to God's word. He responded to his conscience telling him, there's no way, me, I responded to my conscience about almost 18 years ago now. I looked up in the stars in the sky and I said this to myself, there's no possible way that all of that can just be there without anybody putting it there. And then I got, kind of got this throughout all the years that I've been sharing the word with people. I, on earth, all we see is chaos, death, disease, destruction, people hurting one another, cancers. But you know what? When you look at the stars in the sky and all heaven and all creation, you don't see chaos, do you? <laughs> You see, every sun still rises in the east and sets in the west. doesn't happen randomly. You see the stars and the moon and the sky and all the planets and the solar systems and all the, the, uh, all the different constellations. And what do they do? They all just hang there. And they're there. Did you know that they're there even when the sun's out and you can't see them? They're always there. You just can't see them. That doesn't mean they're not there. They're always there. And they hang in perfect balance and perfect unity and in perfect, perfect, perfect order. How, how does that happen? Just random chance. That doesn't. That doesn't. Because if you go into a, a junkyard and you stick a bomb and explosive onto a junk car and you blow it up, you can sit there and wait. I don't care how many millions or billions of years you sit there and that, the car's never going to come back together. 
It's just not going to happen. The car's just always going to be in chaos. Yet all creation's not in chaos. But the word is there. The answer's there. If you want to know, God wants you to be like Cornelius. If you're listening to this message out here. And he wants you to seek him in his word. Because he wants to know if you're really going to listen. If you're really going to respond. If you're really going to stop suppressing the knowledge of the truth. And you're going to actually take him on his word and say, well, How should I believe for salvation? Because there is a belief unto a belief. Because we all have millions of beliefs, if not more. But then there's a belief unto salvation. What is it? Do you know? And if you don't, go to the scriptures and find out. Search God's heart. Be like a Cornelius. It's really, salvation's not up to you. God's calling everybody. But whether you take and receive his gift, his way is up to you. And the Bible's very clear about that. So I hope and pray, and we're going to pray right now, and I'm going to pray that you do, that you do respond and you do seek the heart of God for what it really means to believe in Jesus Christ unto salvation and not just to have a belief of him like, oh, I believe in that guy down the street that I've never met before. So let's pray. God, thank you for your word today. Thank you for all the different things, Lord God, that the scripture that we pulled out of the scripture today, Lord God. I, as I just, my heart, Lord God, for you is to teach people the Bible. God, that's, that's what I desire to do, Lord God. I love talking about the Bible, Lord God. I love teaching the Bible, Lord God. And, and Father God, I love, Lord, just when people's eyes light up and they hear the true things about your word, Lord God, because so, so many preachers, Lord God, that so-called churches, not even really church, Lord, you bring them in and it's all good stories and it's all you make you feel good stuff, Lord God. But, and there are great things in your word, Lord, that help us, be, that help us feel good. There are absolute awesome things that help us feel good. But, Lord God, the whole word is not just so we can feel good. Lord God, the whole word is so that we can come to either know you, know you more, or come back to knowing you, Lord, if we knew you once and we've fallen away. And, Lord God, and if we know you, and it's to help us know you deeper. And to that depth of that knowledge, Lord, that we can know you, there's no end. Lord, I'm almost 18 years, Lord God, and I, st- I still don't know much at all, Lord God, in, in, in the span of your whole word and all the things about you. Lord, I'm still, I still discover new nuggets about you all the time. Lord, that I just read the Bible 15, 16, 17 times through, Lord, I still find things because, Lord, I'm still seeking. I'm still, I still want to know you more, Lord God. I don't have enough. I want to know you more. But God, I, I just pray today, Lord God, that, that somebody needed to hear, Lord, maybe, that you show no partiality. <laughs> you show none. As long as there's breath in our lungs, as long as we're still alive, we have a chance to either A, come to you for the first time, B, come back to you, or, or C, come to know you more. Lord God, so I just pray, Lord God, your Holy Spirit would, would continue to work on whoever's listening, Lord, their hearts, Lord, so that you can draw them either closer to you or, or back to you or to you for the first time. God, so that they just now would know, Lord, well, if I just even, if I just even seek you like Cornelius did, <laughs> Lord, well, if they do, but it is true, and I just spoke this just the other day, if we seek, Lord God, Jesus said it, if we seek, we shall find. God, you will make it happen. Yeah. And Lord, we not, may not even know what, I, what we're seeking for, Lord, but if we're seeking, God, help me to know you. I want to know who are you. God, are, who are you? Are you this? Are you that? Lord, if you hear that cry, Lord, you'll come running, right. and you will help us to know who you are, and then you'll help us to know what it means to be saved in you. 
God, we thank you and we love you and we praise you. And we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.